Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be looking at Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians still. And I put together a lot of recordings on Corinthians. Uh actually did a number of recordings uh numerous years ago, about four years ago. And like I said, since Corinthians doesn't change, uh, they would still be applicable today. But in my efforts to go over every different aspect of Corinthians, the environment in which Corinthians was written, uh, I spent much of this morning looking over all the different commentaries about Corinthians and the different chapters of Corinthians, listening to what the other people in the church in the last 100 years, 200 years, has been teaching about Corinthians, I am coming to a conclusion as to what is important to share with you so that you will not be uh, deceived by any of the strong delusions that have been spread amongst modern Christians. Because modern Christians clearly are not doing what Christ said to do. They're not doing what the early church said to do. And the next two chapters, we're in chapters 12 and 13, kind of point that out because they talk about spiritual gifts which were common in the early church, not so common today. I remember the uh, quote from uh, um, Thomas Aquinas, or at least it was attributed to Thomas Aquinas, that he came in to the quarters of the Pope, and the Pope was sitting there. Uh, at that time, the Pope was counting money. And he had lots of money on the table and he was counting that money, you know, putting it in stacks and because it was all gold and silver and, and copper in those days. And so he was counting it up and he said to Thomas, no longer can we say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas replied supposedly, no longer can we say arise and walk. And, of course, that's a uh, reference to Peter, who said that uh, I have no, you know, he was talking to somebody who was crippled, and he says, I don't have any gold and silver to give you, because the guy was asking for alms. But uh, what I do have to give you is a rise and walk, and suddenly the man was not crippled anymore. Well, I'd love to be able to say that spiritually to you, but it depends on you. Now, I, I don't believe that Peter was curing that guy or healing that guy simply because it was Peter's decision. I believe that there was a decision in the heart of that individual also that desired to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we saw with the woman who went up to touch the garment of Jesus Christ. It was her desire and her faith and her belief in what Jesus was saying and the message that Jesus was bringing about the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. She was willing to receive that message in her heart and in her mind. And with that came healing. 
You, because the Holy Spirit is not going to dwell in a temple that blasphemes the Holy Spirit. That goes against the what the Holy Spirit is trying to impart to you. The doctrines of Jesus Christ. And uh, I saw this morning when I was looking up, uh, sorting out some pages, uh, putting uh, lots of these recordings on the individual pages that we have at preparingyou.com. You can go to that, preparingyou.com. And we have a study in Corinthians. And I've put up lots and lots of audios on every one of these pages. I've expanded the introduction page so that you get an image of what and why and who was writing Corinthians to whom. Because you need to understand, and we talked about the fact that Corinthia uh the Corinth was absolutely devastated and destroyed about 150 years before the birth of Jesus Christ and about 45 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. It was repopulated. Everybody, the command from Rome was to kill everybody. The reality is, is Corinth was, it was a different sort of city-state than many of the other places that we think of today. And what was being offered to the Corinthians in this new city-state? What was, that had lots of different people in there. Uh, and so, these people were also becoming Christians, some of them. Quite a bit of them. There was a pretty good-sized establishment of Corinthians that were following in the ways of Christ. Most Christians today don't even know what the ways of Christ are. They read the same text because they take the text out of the context of the Bible and out of the context of history. They end up not really understanding what the text is actually saying. And we have an army of men who are going around calling themselves ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're doing absolutely the opposite of what Jesus Christ was doing and telling you that this is what it means or that is what it means. And they're not telling you the truth. They're they're simply not imparting to you the actual gospel. They actually have twisted the gospel out of shape, out of the context, out of its original meaning and talking to you one of the things I almost cringe at it except for it doesn't really affect me because I understand but I would cringe there's a part of me that wants to cringe at it when people are saying I heard a number of home churchers talking about we and us as if they are Christians because they imagine themselves to be Christians because they have fulfilled the parameters that have been laid down by these modern preachers to be a Christian. They're saying, yeah, we're Christians. We, us. Paul is talking to us. No, Paul is talking to Corinthians. And he's talking to a certain group of Corinthians who are actually doing what Christ said. They're doers of the word. And he is making it very clear that he has preached Christ first. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 
For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which is saying Jesus who was the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the King. There is another King, one Jesus, because he is the anointed, the Christ. Now if any man build upon a foundation Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Work, works, man's works, that is what he's talking about, is manifested, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by Fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So, and it goes on, verse 15, talking about any man's work. He's talking about works as if they have some sort of validity and importance. And he goes into verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, people reading that today, the home churches, a lot of other people and lots of other churches and denominations, they think the Spirit of God is dwelling in them. Well, where are their spiritual gifts? Why aren't they healing people? Why aren't they laying hands on people? And, and healing them. Um, I could tell you some stories uh, that just happened in the last few days, but uh, you. Uh, but we've seen it over and over again. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get into chapter 12, and then hopefully we'll get into chapter 13 today, and maybe even finish them. Now, in all my preparations, I did not read those chapters today. I didn't put in new notes. At preparing you on those chapters today. Well, I did put in some of the commentaries that I was reading over today to see what other people are thinking. So when I read chapter 12 to you today, we're going to go over some of these words, you know, fresh. You and me are both reading them fresh today. And uh, I'll have to go back later on and put in some links so you can find greater detail. That's what we do is we go down and we look at these Verses, and then we also going to look at the individual words in those verses and see how they related to people at that time, and then how they should be relating to you at this time. And if you were doing what Christ said, if you were actually following what Christ said to do, and we just saw Paul back there in chapter three and saying that the foundation has to be Christ. You know, he said before, I preach preach Christ first. You know, he didn't preach a new gospel. He preached what Christ did. So if you're not doing what Christ said to do, or if you are doing what Christ said not to do, whether you're in a home church or a cathedral or a a kingdom hall or whatever it is that, you, you know, whatever denomination you go to, you're not a Christian. If you're doing the opposite of what Christ said, if your preachers are preaching the opposite of what Christ said, Contrary to what Christ said, the gospel of Christ and what he said to do and not do, they're workers of iniquity and prophets of the Antichrist. 
of Satan, the adversary of Christ, the Antichrist, whoever that is, is the spirit of the Antichrist. You know, the adversary of Christ. And though whoever that is is going to have power because people give them power because they want to believe them rather than Jesus Christ. And, you know, in, in this world that we have that is so prosperous, and, you know, now we hear in the news that they're going to be taking uh, troops out. of. We're not going to have these endless wars on terrorism and everything, and people are going to have to, you know, start getting responsible in their own countries for their own countries and start doing the right thing by one another. And, and as soon as he starts pulling out troops, the President of the United States starts pulling out troops of the United States. Uh, we see another country, Turkey, invading the neighboring country that and attacking some of the people that we had been de- previously defending and helping. And the United Nations blames the United States for pulling out. Well, wait a minute. That one of the founding members of the United Nations is Turkey. And Turkey is the one who's invading. They're the ones driving across the border with guns and shooting people. Why isn't the United Nations saying it's Turkey's fault for invading? (laughs) Why aren't all those people getting together and saying, Turkey, back off. Let the Kurds be the Kurds. You know, uh, it's an internal dispute. Pay attention to your own country. Well, somebody that I know that is, is deeply enmeshed in politics and watching what's going on and actually looking at some of the corruption is he says, I can't help but wonder if after the UN speech of the president where he called out a lot of people and and talked about the evil globalists who are trying to take away the boundaries of all countries uh, who are, you know, busy at work in the United Nations, that they're not having Turkey, encouraging Turkey to cross the border in order to try to get political pressure on the president to go back in and fight them to keep America involved in these foreign wars but anyway my purpose of bringing this up besides showing the obvious hypocrisy that is going on every day everywhere in the world I could I could do it on a local level the United Nations people aren't doing what they say they're supposed to be doing they're not following their charter and 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 uh, censuring countries that are invading other countries. The whole idea of the United Nations to get countries to settle their disputes without going to war. <laughs> and yet here they're letting somebody do it, and they don't even criticize the person doing it, you know, the, the country doing it. I could say person because it's the president of that country, the head of that country that is sending those troops in there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Turks and people who are the citizens of Turkey don't want to do that. But there's enough in the army that just do what they're told and they're crossing the border. But the problem is people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. What they say they're supposed to be doing. They're not honoring their agreements. And I see this even on a local basis. And I could tell you stories about that on a local basis. People, uh, people, uh, in police departments, actually recently the people in the police department were doing what they were supposed to be doing and other people were criticizing. <laughs> Which, uh, but you know, the, in the Congress of Oregon, 
80% of them are in violation of their own constitutions that they all swore to keep and abide by. I mean, they're seriously involved in it, lining their own pockets with millions upon millions of dollars, their personal pockets with millions and millions of dollars, some of them only maybe 10000 some 100000 but others are millions of dollars, by violating the, clearly violating, I mean, you can prove it in three minutes. And we have an article, you go read article 2, section 22, at preparing you also, and see how they are so corrupt in government that for their profit they violate. And because of this, this hamstrings them, ties their hands. So the guys who take 10000 or $20,000 or $40,000 over what they are allowed to take can't say anything about the fact that other people are taking millions of dollars over what they're allowed to take for their personal profit. And they can't do anything about it because they're all in violation. Because they're not doing what they said they would do. Now, personally, we know, all the all you listeners out there, of course, I know we always have new listeners, know that we're not supposed to be swearing oaths. And because it cometh of evil. And if you end up in a place where you need to do that or you're led to do that, you better stick really close to the Holy Spirit as to what you say and don't say and be ready to follow the Holy Spirit rather than merely the leading of other men. But the reality is everybody has covenanted with the state. They have evidently done that to obtain benefits, or their parents have done it, or their grandparents have done it, to obtain benefits at the expense of their neighbor. This is all contrary to what Christ preached. He says you're not to covet your neighbor's goods. Ten Commandments tells you you're not to make covenants, contracts, constitutions with unbelievers. And the reality is because we've changed what a believer is, most modern Christians have made contracts, covenants, and constitutions with unbelievers who are not following the way of Christ. All this has happened, I shouldn't say it all has happened, but a great deal of it has happened in the last hundred years. But nobody's learning real history anymore, so they don't see it. I'm I'm up there in age. I knew people that lived 120, 150 years ago. And as I was growing up, and I listened to the old men, and I've done a lot of research on my own. I, I used to study history books, but now I actually study a lot of times the writings of the people who lived that history. And that's why I was looking at the commentaries about Paul, because I went back and read Paul in the, in the uh, Greek, and, you know, I studied all that history and I had that foreknowledge, and then I, but I also had something else which, believe it or not, was the Holy Spirit that is guiding me in this. But when I read the commentaries, I am looking at the world that they imagined existed back then. And this is what historians often do. Historians report the history based on their view of the history, but their view of the history is affected by what they have previously learned and by the Spirit that dwelleth in them. The way they think. You can get... Somebody goes and gets the exact same high school, you know, grade school, high school, college education. Two people that go the same exact way. And one will come to one conclusion and the other one will come to another conclusion. Because of the spirit that dwelleth in them. 
I always give the example, you know, people talk about having high IQ and being really smart and everything like that is some how the measure of the man. Well, the fictional characters of Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty were both men of high IQ. Both men were very intelligent. One committed crimes with his intelligence, and the other one fought against the commission and the abuse of crimes because he had a certain amount of compassion for other people. He was uh, OCD about solving problems, but he w- did have a certain amount of compassion for people, while Moriarty did not. So the real measure of the man is not his IQ, but the measure of his heart. And that's going to affect his mind. I saw somebody on our program says, you have to stop using this and pointing to their heart and start using this and pointing to their head. And of course, later on, it's revealed that that individual is trying to deceive the individual. But at the time I heard him say that, I said, no, it's the other way around. Because <laughs> God writes upon your heart and upon your mind. And that has to be his spirit that is forming those things. And if if it was, you'd be doing the same things that the early church did. You would be manifesting, your works would manifest the spiritual gifts that we see in the early church. And we'll see the commentary people talking about how, oh, that was just for then and it went away because the apostles died and they don't want anybody talking about their church being apostolic anymore or that there are apostles, because there are no new apostles. That's all, it was all for a certain time to get to kind of jump start the church. That's not true. God wants you to be doing the same miracles today that the early church was doing. He wants you the same healing. Somebody was talking to me about somebody who has had an opportunity to do what Christ said, which is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, According to the name of Christ, which means according to the spirit of Christ, the character of Christ, which Christ didn't come here to be entertained. He came here to that you might be saved. So when you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you are not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to save yourself. You're doing it because you love Christ and you're coming in the name of Christ. So therefore, you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to save other people. And not to save... Just people you know or love you, but to save people that you don't even know. That's why it's tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. You don't know all those thousands. You can only know maybe ten or fifty people. But you sit down in that pattern so that you can help save thousands. I heard a story this morning. Somebody's coming in. You know, Costco chickens, for those of you who go to Costco, are real popular. They sell lots of them. They actually sell millions of them. <laughs> millions and millions of chickens. And so they started in Nebraska a big chicken producer to produce millions of chickens. But it's only a small fraction of what they actually still use. But but that's centralizing your food production. That's setting you up for a failure that you will be catastrophic. But anyway, we'll talk about that. But we're going to get heavily into spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 13. Be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. As I was saying, there was somebody who had a chance to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's what we're trying to do. That's why we talk about network. Somebody told me once and uh, that network is not even mentioned in the Bible. And yet you point out to them 
that Jesus commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Uh, it actually says in ranks of tens and ranks of fifties and ranks of a thousand. And understanding the way in which the Greeks talked about mathematics, the Greeks were big into mathematics, is there were 5,000 families there. So that would come out to tens, fifties, and hundreds so that you cover 5,000, uh, or, or thousands, uh, tens, fifties, and thousands. But it's actually, and there's a reason why we're not going to go into that, why those numbers pop up, uh, both in the Old and New Testament. But the reality is they're sitting down in that pattern so that they can practice pure religion, which the modern church does not practice pure religion. They actually practice covetous practices. And Peter said they would. Paul warned that you shouldn't do it. Christ forbid it. The Old Testament forbids it. God forbids it. That you not covet your neighbor's goods. You don't get to do it through government. You're just not supposed to do it. It's not okay to covet as long as you do it through government. You're just not supposed to covet. And then, of course, you make agreements with the government and so that you are willing to take a bite out of your neighbor to get benefits and therefore you yourself are devoured. Your children are cursed, just like Paul sa- uh, Peter said they would be. Uh, you're made merchandise. You're made a human resource. So now you have to work the, the rest of your life to and the, and the rest of the life of your children and the rest of the life of your grandchildren to pay off the debt that you're creating because you're not really keepers of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is about not going into debt. It's about working first and earning your rest, earning, you know, the the money that you use to buy the couch you sit on and the house you live in. And the food you eat. It's not based on borrowed money where you're going to have to work tomorrow to pay off your rest today. It's about working first. That's what the Sabbath is about. If people have got you counting days and months and years, you have me worried. And you had the apostles worried when people were going back and doing that. And they say that in the New Testament. If you don't know where, you got some more studying to do. But anyway... So I pointed out the fact that, you know, we live in an economy now that is not a kingdom economy. It's actually quite the reverse of the kingdom economy. It's very collective, very giant, organized and stuff. Not that the Christian early economy was not organized. It was organized, but was based on the individual, not on the collective. They they look like a collective. Some people actually think they were socialists. And they have to misinterpret things like own things in common, all things in common. All things common is actually what it says. But uh, we explain that. We have an article up. You can go and look and study that article and find out what they're really talking about there. But they were actually based on individual responsibility. What you made was yours. What you earned was yours. What you produced was yours. The means of production was in your hands. Most of the means of production is your labor. Your labor. Because the prophecy was that we would return every man to his family and his possessions. That's why it's very interesting that they gather in families. Families. Because there were 5,000 men and their families. 
They had to organize themselves in these tens, fifties, and hundreds and thousands before there was going to be any loaves and fishes. There was not going to be any miraculous loaves and fishes until they they sat down in that pattern. And and it was ranks. So therefore, what you do, ten families gather together and they pick somebody and he's in the next group. And the highest group in there, or the highest individual in there who's in charge of the most people is there because he is the best servant of servants of servants. Not because he is the best ruler of rulers of rulers. It's the reverse. And so... That's very key to understand because if you're not doing that, you're not doing the works that Paul was talking about. And you're not the we and us that Paul was talking about. You're actually them. <laughs> you're not, not us and we of the Christian church. And so, and, and even if we are not really doing it to the extent that we should be doing it, but that's why I'm, I get up so early and stay up so late. <laughs> To try to let you know, but until you start sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded that the disciples of Christ make the people do, and I can't make you do it. I'm, I don't have a sword, or uh, actually I do have a sword, but I'm not going to use it. <laughs> uh, but I don't have a spear, and and so we're not going to force you because we don't operate by force. But I'm going to insist that you do what Christ says, or you're not we and us. Because you're not obeying Christ. You're not following Christ's lead. You're not doing what he said. You may be saying, Lord, Lord, you may be saying you believe in Jesus, but you're not actually doing what he said to do. So that's a that's a big thing, that you're not doing what Christ said to do. That that puts you out, and then, like I said, if you're doing what Christ said not to do, then you fall under the category of workers of iniquity, and Christ is going to say, "Get ye from me," when you think you're you're saved. He's actually going to say, "No, you get get ye from me." I, you workers of iniquity, I don't even know you, and you don't even he doesn't even know you because you don't even know him, and that's exactly where the Pharisees were at. They did not know. Christ, because they did not really know Moses. They thought they did. They had convinced themselves they did. And so they were under a strong delusion. A lot of people are looking out in the world today and we're seeing these people who, uh, you know, all these different pronouns and all these different supposed genders other than male and female. Uh, And it's, those people think there's something other than male or female. But that's a strong delusion. It's it's actually used to be referred to as a dysphoria or a delusion. That they were delusional. And now we're supposed to cater to that delusion, which actually used to be the common consensus that you don't cater to the delusion. You don't have to necessarily attack it, but you don't cater to it. But now you're commanded to cater to it. And it it shows this this change of consciousness which is really caused by the lack of the Holy Spirit. The farther you get away from the Holy Spirit, the more irrational you will become. You will you will call what is a fallacy logical. And we'll actually do some shows on that, but we've got to get through Corinthians, at least first Corinthians <laughs> before we, we do that. But I'm I'm working on uh talking 
to you about, because the kingdom of God is very logical. You know, what God says is very reasonable. God, God is a God of reason. But you can't find God to reason. Because that's like saying that if I eat of the tree of knowledge, then I will know God. No, you eat of the tree of life to know God. And the tree of life is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And that's what you should be using to direct your day-to-day life. And that's why, and I'm bringing it up in these verses of, of, uh, in these chapters 12 and 13. And we ought to, we also should realize that the chapters were put in. The chapter breaks were put in. There were no chapter breaks when Paul wrote his epistles. We put those chapter breaks in. And sometimes, they're not in the best of places. And so, you all, but of course we're always talking about reading the Bible in the context of the Bible and the context of history and read Paul in the context of Paul. So you can't separate chapters out. I mean, you can do it for the purposes of finding your way around this big long text, but you have to be careful. Chapter 12 is also part of chapter 11. It's not separate message. It's a continuation from chapter 11. And we already quoted from chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a part of the message that we are reading in chapter 12. So you have to read these in context of what Paul has already said and the scene that he's already saying. And we are setting. And we also have to read it in the context of Christ. Because Paul uh, preached Christ first. So that's, that's where we start. That's the foundation. That's why he's talking in, uh, chapter 3 verse 11 about the foundation is Christ. And these preachers that say, oh well, Christ said that, but he said that before the crucifixion. Now after the crucifixion, we don't have to pay attention to what Christ said. Uh, I mean, the way I put that, you'd think nobody would ever say that. Really decent people. Really Kind of God-fearing people. I have to say kind of because he's not fearing God enough. <laughs> believe because he, he wants to believe in his belief. He doesn't want to actually believe in Christ. Now there's a part of him that does want to believe in Christ. But there's a part of him that wants to believe in his belief. He wants to believe that his idea about God is true. He is not willing to humbly accept I've got it all wrong. And you, everybody has to get there. So, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands will facilitate that. Practicing pure religion will facilitate that humility. Realizing that you're not doing what the early church did and you need to repent, think a different way, and start doing what the early church did will facilitate your salvation. Christ did everything he did, said everything he said, sacrificed everything he sacrificed, washed every foot that he washed because he did it so that you might be saved. Religion is not just what you think about God. It's the performance of the duty to God that Christ said you have. And your duty is to love one another as he has loved you And to not take a bite out of one another or covet one another's goods or bind one another to serve your desires. 
So when you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you're sitting down in a free society, in a free assembly, hopefully in the name of Christ, in the character of Christ, in the way of Christ, to take care of one another, not just in your little home church, you know, where everybody loves you and you love everybody in your little home church, but in a network of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And then in that process, hopefully, you will learn the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And instead of just the songs you're singing now in your church, what is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb? Well, we'll save that for Revelations. We've already talked about it. and if, There's a lot to learn, but there's even more to unlearn. So in when we're looking at... Uh, these uh, now concerning spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So what does he mean, not have you ignorant? What is that word there that we see as ignorant in the Greek? Because it's a particular word and it shows up a number of times in the Bible. Um, it's uh, It actually is from... Uh, a couple words. It's it's the negative word. You know, the A is the negative word. And uh, the the actual word that they're saying is understanding. You don't have understanding. You don't perceive. That, I mean, because it's translated, the, the base word is translated understanding, perceive, even consider, even think. It's only translated think once. There's other words for think. But, this has to do with understanding, perceiving something. In order to perceive something, you need the Holy Spirit. Because he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual perception. The Holy Spirit lists this where it will. So how do you get the Holy Spirit to come in and give you perception? Because the perception you need, the understanding you need, comes to you by way of God. It does not come to you by way of the tree of knowledge. You cannot just study the Bible and get this. You need the Holy Spirit when you study the Bible and the text of the Bible and the message of Christ. So it goes into verse 2. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as ye were led. What is he talking about? How were they carried? He's saying, you guys are all Gentiles. You were all a part of another nation. Well, some of the people he's talking to are Jews. So, are Jews Gentiles? Absolutely. Jews can be Gentiles. Gentile means other nation. An other group of people. It's, It's from the Greek word ethnos. Which, you know, is a multitude associated or living together, having the same communion. And the communion of the Gentiles was through the temples of like Rome and Corinth and, you know, and these temples provided their daily welfare. It was their social security, which is why when they took money out of the fund, the Corbin fund, which was the sacrifice funds at the temple in Jerusalem to build an aqueduct, the people rioted at the time of Jesus Christ which Jesus mentions this riot, because they were taking it out for what they thought was something that would benefit everybody, but it benefited everybody who lived in Jerusalem near where the aqueduct brought in water. 
that temple was serving the whole nation. So they were pilfering the Social Security fund that was to help out the widows and orphans and the elderly, etc., when they needed help. They were pilfering that to build public works. And they said, no, you're supposed to do that with different money. Of course, we got people saying the same thing. You're taking from our Social Security fund. Your Social Security fund today is the Corbin of yesterday. And the idols that they talk about, what are the idols? Because Paul, you know, he's going to tell us that the idols are nothing. But uh, they translate the word as if it is means an image or a likeness. But it's a representation. It's a false god. It's it's the symbol, if you went to the Parthenos or one of these other temples, they would have these statues up there. And sometimes the statues are even made out of gold. And that's the reserve fund for that temple to provide the services of that temple. And they had lots of different temples. I mean, the Temple of Mineta just was coining money. So you'd put wealth in there and they'd coin the money. And that's where you get the, the coins with Caesar's head on it. And But that was it called a temple. But, you know, we don't call it a temple today. We call it... The treasury, <laughs> or the mint, which is where they get the word moneta, is from the mint. You know, so these temples, they had an actual purpose, but they had symbols out in front of them that I, because everybody didn't read, so you put, you know, it's like the old uh, movie Hobson's Choice, and you get to his, Hobson's store, uh, is a boot shop. And how did you know it was a boot shop? Well, it says boot shop. Sells boots, shoes, and everything. But everybody didn't read. So they had a big boot hanging from the side. <laughs> and that's, that's an image to tell you what this store sells. Boots, shoes. That's what we got there. Okay, well, it's the same thing with the temples. They had these statues, but it's telling you what this temple deals with. It's, oh, I know that statue. Oh, I know this statue. And I know... That's what this is. This is what this... I I found the building I was looking for. (laughs) But when they say worship, they're just talking about look to and serve. Put money in, take money out. That's worshiping. You know, because you serve it with your labor and then it helps you when you have a need. These All these temples were connected in one way or another towards the, the economy of the world. Uh, and, you know, if you fell on hard times, they would help you out, some of them. And some of them were more like stock brokerages, you know, like the Temple of Janus. But anyway, we got whole sections on that. If we go back to verse 3 now, Wherefore, I give you under uh, to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So that that seems a very limiting statement that, uh, you know, nobody can say unless it's by the Holy Ghost. He's putting an emphasis on the presence of the Holy Ghost in every one of you. And he goes in verse 4. Now, there are... Diversity, uh, diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are difference of administrations, but the same Lord. Now what does he mean by administrations? You have to realize again 
that the uh, the Christians were taking care of their daily ministration. They are taking care of all the social welfare for Christians. Not because there wasn't social welfare around, but because they could not eat of the social welfare offered by Caesar because their treasury, their Corbin, was filled with contributions that were forced from the people. Such contributions forced from the people, compelling them by force to contribute, is not charity. That's not charity. That's force. John the Baptist didn't do it by force. He did it by charity. Christ didn't do it by force. He did it by charity. Christian Early Christian church didn't do it by force. Did it by charity. Rome did it by force. The Pharisees were doing it by force. And so therefore their sacrifice, their Corbin, that's what Corbin means, their sacrifice was making the will of God, the word of God, to actually not affect. And so they weren't healing people like Christ was healing people because the Spirit of God was not in them. And their rationale, their thinking was wrong and confused and eventually got worse and worse and worse. So if you if you look at that word administration, it talks it's translated ministry a lot of times, but it's also the same word they translate ministration. Or ministering. It means service. Ministering especially. And those who uh, execute the commands of others. Okay. So what in, in religion amongst men. So this. You know we can go back to Moses. Moses was taking care of the needy of their society through free will offerings. And free, that's what they. That's the word you see. You don't see the word charity. You see free will offerings. Charity is never forced. You cannot force somebody to contribute to something and still call it charity. It's not charity anymore. It has to be a free will offering. This is why they were rightly dividing the bread of that free will offering from house to house in the early church. They could have gone to Rome and they were giving out free bread, but they weren't doing that. That would be eating at the table of those idols. Because they were giving them out through their temple. Now, the the modern church says it's okay to go to the mint and get your money, and it's okay to go to the welfare office and get your free bread and to get your health care and to get your free education and, and to get all these benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other. But Christ said it wasn't to be that way with us. He said it over again in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he said it in, in many other ways. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods. You're not supposed to swear oaths and, and make yourself a part of systems that have one purse. You know, the collective. That we, we weren't supposed to do that. But they were doing that. So we see in, uh, this administration of the Lord is not done through force. It's done through free will offerings, done through charities, done through love. Same word for love, same word for charity. And so we see, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. 
So he's saying that this administration of taking care of the needy of society through these tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands will help you with the manifestation of the Spirit. Because you're actually casting your bread upon the waters, you're helping other people long ways away through a network. You're empowering your minister when you give him something to redistribute. You're empowering him to do the will of God. And you will be empowered when you do that in the name of Christ. So how do you know who to give to? How do you know who to sit down with? You have to be led by the Spirit. Well, you're not completely led by the Spirit now, and that is something you have to learn. And I can't teach you that. You learn by doing. Somebody wrote me, and again, I was going over his letter again. He wants me to put together a flyer, front and back, that tells you how to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And I would like to do that, and I prayed about it, and prayed about it, and prayed about it, but I'm trying to think, I'm like, how do I do that? Because really, that's the job. I'm telling you what it looks like. That's easy. You sit down in these small groups, and these groups are connected by the man you pick to connect you with the other groups, and then you start practicing charity. Now, exactly how that's done has to come to each individual by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from the top down. I can't direct you. I can come in and say, well, that doesn't look like Christ to me. <laughs> that doesn't look like the early church to me. And I can, I can, Paul, that's what Paul's telling them. That, oh no, we don't want to do it that way, guys. You know, cause there was that temptation of going back and getting, cause there were hard times coming. During this period of time, there were numerous crop failures. Right when Paul shows up, there had been numerous crop failures. And people were running short of food. So how do you, how do you handle that? Well, through that administration that he's talking about of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, rightly dividing the bread from congregation to congregation to congregation to family to family to family. And I can show you over and over again that's how they were doing it. They weren't doing it like Christians do today. We'll get in more depth when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in First Corinthians chapter 12 and we're reading in verses uh, in the first part of the first paragraph of that chapter again the paragraph sections are also often put in by other men uh, which is okay you have to do something so you can kind of see and that's their best guess but the reality is we have to make sure that we don't take verses out of the context of the whole message and this is what the early church uh, did not do, although some were starting to be tempted to do that. But the modern church does regularly. And they create whole doctrines by taking one little verse here, one little verse there, and they say, oh, works don't matter anymore. Not by works. When Paul was saying not by works, he was talking about particular works. And you have to read it in the context. Because people were thinking that, oh, we have to do it according to this form. You know, we have to count seven days and take a Sabbath off. And we have to, you know, wear a prayer shawl. And and we have to do all these. No, not by those works. Not even by your good works. But the manifestation of your works is how we know whether you're a Christian. Same thing James said. Same thing Paul said. Same thing Christ said. Not saying, Lord, Lord. But doing the will of the Father. Well, the will of the Father didn't really have anything to do with counting days and wearing prayer shawls or sewing breeches for your Levite minister. 
It had to do with righteousness. If you're not doing righteousness, you're not doing it. Period. And how do we know you're doing righteousness? By what you do. Now, I don't need to know exactly because I, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I let anybody come to a congregation. And the Holy Spirit will drive out the evil ones. Not me. I don't have to drive them out. I don't need to take that sword down. I think it's right here behind me. <laughs> I have to think of where it is. And it was a sword that was... Get, I got it passed down to me from father and grandfather and great uncle. Um and uh it's it's actually a bayonet and sword, but it's a big long sword. But the reality is is I don't use that on people. Uh that's not the way the kingdom operates. I'm telling you that my sword is my tongue. I'm telling you, if you're not doing what Christ said, you're not following Christ. You're following some image of Christ created in your mind by some preacher who's not doing what Christ said. So if you don't have a daily ministration, even though you got a home church or a big cathedral, you don't have a daily ministration that's taking care of all the needy of your society, your communion, your congregation, you're not doing what Christ said. Because he was doing that. But in verse 8 we get down. Because he's, he's talking about the manifestation of the Spirit given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith. By the same Spirit to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. What is the key word that I want to point out in there? Does the Spirit tell you? Because it appears twice in the text. And it's the word every man. And why do I say the word every man? Because it is a word. It's not two words. It's hekastos. And it's a superlative of hekas. It's an adjective. Every, it's, it's, that's what it is. It's actually an adjective. It's translated every man about 39 times, every one about 20 times, every 17 times, and there's about seven other miscellaneous, but it's 83 times it shows up in the Bible. But what does it mean, every man? Hekastos is not the word for man. It means each. They say each or every, but it means each. Christianity is an individual walk. It's an individual walk together, but it's a free assembly walk together. This is very important in understanding the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Congregations are not corporations. Congregations are free assembly. And according to the the government of the United States, you have the right to freely assemble. And you have the right to religion. But religion isn't just thinking about God. Religion is how you take care of one another. Now, can you imagine arguing this in a court where we're saying, wait a minute. 
if you make me join your social welfare system and eat at your table that is set by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, you're making me join your religion. That's what you're making me do. You're making me join your religion. Now, unfortunately, many of you have already done that and run up a bill (laughs) of debt. Your parents have done it before you, and you have to remember your rights are inherited from your parents. If your parents sold themselves into bondage, or your grandparents sold themselves into bondage, you're in bondage. That People say, well, these are inalienable rights. and No, 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 no. People in Egypt, when Moses freed them, had been in bondage for 400 years. They had been in bondage for 400 years because of the choices that their great-great-great-great-grandparents made. They were still in bondage. And it was because there was debt. They were giving you something you hadn't paid for. And in exchange, you were promising to work next year for them. That's That's what you were doing. And that put all of Israel into bondage. And then they changed the terms of the bondage. And of course... You know, with your social security number, you're in a system. That's a system. And they don't have to give you any benefits. And if you go to our page on social security, you can learn more about that. If you're just new here, you probably haven't heard anything about what the social security system and how it operates. Now I could, I could put a copy of the social security act and go through the whole thing word for word on, on the, and show you how it works. You can go read it for yourself. You can go read our employee versus enslave and all that stuff and find out how that system really works. And you think this is just some guy out in the desert coming up with this. I've taken this to top attorneys in the United States. I've taken it to men who wrote law books and they said I'm right. Okay? So, (laughs) I'm not just making this up. It may not be what you want to hear, but this is... Paul would understand. Paul was a lawyer. (laughs) He would understand... You, if you don't understand these hard things to understand, it's because I'm telling you what Paul's telling you. Now I'm telling you why Paul is telling you this. He's talking about these gifts. Now some of this gift, it includes healing. Now cause we're talking about spiritual things. He's already talked about daily bread and daily ministration and, and those things have all been covered in Romans and, and even, like I said, in Corinthians. Uh, and eating of idols and eating of the table of the Lord and there is a table that is a snare and that's the table of the men who call themselves benefactors or the fathers of the earth. They have a table. You can eat at that table, but it's a snare. If your parents eat of it, your grandparents eat of it, and you eat of it, you're snared. You're merchandise. And you've cursed your children. Now all you have to do is repent, think a different way, and that different way of thinking needs to turn into actions. That's your works. Now you're not going to be able to do enough work to save you. It'll take divine intervention. But that divine intervention is coming, and you're not ready. You're not ready because you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, as Christ said, that I'm supposed to make you do. And he told all the preachers who preach Christ, they're supposed to be doing that. And you're sitting down in that tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you can have your own loaves and fishes. And not depend on your Costco chicken. You thought I'd never tie that back into the, in the talk. <laughs> no, you're depending on these 
top-down systems, these big, huge mega systems. Now, early church had big, huge systems too. Even early Rome had big, huge systems without emperors. They were they were the sea kings. They were they were part of the sea kings. They were building ships big enough to carry just about everybody on the Titanic. Might be a little bit less luxurious quarters, but they could carry a lot of people. Thousands and thousands of people on these ships. Uh, They were massive. Well, that's not a guy building the ship. That's a lot of guys. Well, they had a way of coming together to make that work. And you could learn that way too. Well, Christians could come together and create cooperatives and be very, very successful. I was talking to my grandson the other day and I was saying that, you know, a son and daughters should be trying to make their family wealthy. Both people coming from, you know, with nothing made their families wealthy within one generation. How'd they do it? They work like dogs to take care of the young people, to develop them up, to make them good, prosperous, efficient, successful young adults. And those young adults work to help their younger siblings come up and do the same thing. So the father comes and works as a dishwasher in a restaurant. And by the time his kids are grown and are starting to have kids of their own, he owns the restaurant. You should be doing that in every family and every family should be doing that in every congregation and every congregation should be doing that in every congregation of congregations to the tune of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And not depending upon the world. So how do I put that in a pamphlet? Well, if you let the Holy Spirit in, you sit down and just try to do it. The Holy Spirit will show you what you need to do to prosper and be healthy. So that's very important that that you go that route and walk that walk. It's called the way. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is following that way. And everybody will have a different role. And how can I tell you what that role is? And how will you even know what that role is unless you have the Holy Spirit? So if we look at verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ears shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. As it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, where were the hearing? Where were the hearing? The whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him, 
and if they were all one member, were where were the body? Now it's it's hard language, and of course we could look at some of the other translations that are easier to understand. But what is the message? He's going on and on about all these parts. But now are they many members yet but one body? He's repeating it again. I've talked to you before about how Paul will say the exact same thing in a number of ways to emphasize and to kind of walk around the deal. Well, is he talking about eyes and hands and feet? No, he's talking about you. Every man. Each man. Each man must have the Holy Spirit in him. Just like each cell in your body is affected by the Spirit that is in you. If you're angry, if you're upset, if you're unforgiving, this is going to affect your health. It's going to affect the cells in your body. The blood cells traveling around, the white blood cells, the red blood cells. They're not going to do what they're supposed to be doing because you're in conflict. Well, the same thing in the body of Christ. Everybody has a different role. And and that's all he's saying. But that role is, you are guided in that role by the Holy Spirit. One Spirit. For everybody in that role. Well, in those ten, in those fifties, in those hundreds, in those thousands, it must be the same Spirit. But the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of oil, and the Spirit of the world is the Spirit of water. And this water and oil do not mix. So, the fact is, those who come to your congregation that you think are not of the Spirit, you don't have to do anything. You need to bring the Spirit into you more. Whether you're an eye or a foot or whatever part you're playing, you bring the Spirit into you more. How do you bring the Spirit into you more? Through confession, through admission, about yourself. Don't look at the other guy's faults all the time. I mean, they're there. Be, keep an eye on them. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, because he might be a dangerous spirit. But your real defense is God. And it's the armor of God. And so therefore, you this walk alone requires you to search into your own soul. Which is why I advocate meditation. That helps you quiet in your mind so you can see what's already in you. Because you have to... Make room for the Holy Spirit. How do you make room for the Holy Spirit? Forgiving helps. Forgiving is a big part of making room for the Holy Spirit in you. Don't be angry at the world. Don't be angry at your neighbor. Don't be angry at your ex-wife or your ex-husband or your kids or your grandfather or the guy who molested you when you were nine years old or whatever. Don't be angry at them. Let God deal with that. Forgive them. Leave judgment to God. God, you, you do believe there is a God and He will judge them? Well, then let Him do it and you stop doing it. That will start cleaning out your temple of anger, resentment, vanity. Humility is good. Humility is a real good way of cleaning. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the soap <laughs> that you need to scrub out your own heart with. Humility. You have to admit, you don't know it all. You haven't got it figured out. You just have to do it religiously do it walk the walk get up take the steps the eye cannot say unto the hand I have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet I have no need of you nay much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary 
So isn't Paul just saying what I just told you? So I'm saying it. Paul's saying it. I'm saying it. You got two witnesses there. <laughs> don't be driving out or refusing to sit down with tens, hundreds, and thousands because you don't like that guy or you don't think he's good enough. If he's not of the Holy Spirit, why isn't the Spirit of God in you driving him away? You don't have to do it. You just have to show up with the Holy Spirit. But his weakness tests the strength of the Spirit that dwelleth in you. Is the Spirit that dwelleth in you really of the Holy Spirit? People ask me that all the time. How do I know it's really the Holy Spirit? Well, he's telling you. You know, I mean, if you're getting angry, if you're getting upset, if you're getting impatient, that's not the Holy Spirit. Now, I put up with a lot of people, and I'm pretty patient with most people, but I sometimes the Border Collie <laughs> doesn't do what I say, but he's actually getting remarkably, you know, I mean, I can just talk to him and tell him, no, you have to stay here, and he turns around and walks home. <laughs> I don't have to shout, don't have to yell. Yeah, come over here. Go over there and sit. And he starts to, and now he's starting to do it. And I think it's because I'm getting it more peace. I'm, you know, I was hiding some of the anger that was in me in my relationship with livestock. Because nothing will test your patience more than sheep. <laughs> Maybe a sheepdog is in there right up in the running. But there cannot be any impatience in you if you are going to be the home of the Holy Spirit. Not, you can't be impatient with the idiots of the world. They may still be idiots, but you can't be impatient with them. Because it's the power of God that you want in you. And not, you don't possess the power of God. It just dwells in you. These, these metaphors, they're real. They're, they're mapping out the kingdom for you. I can't do that in a brochure. You do that in your walk. So the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. And so you can't tell other people that they can't be in your congregation. Because it's not your congregation. You want it to be the congregation of Christ. Members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. He tells you right out. So stop trying to mold your congregations. That's a little hint. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable... Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. You love them more. You care about them more. You don't cast them out. Who are you, God? Stop doing that. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. And we can look into that word later, but I want to keep going on. Maybe we can come back to that. For our comely parts have no need But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Even if they're weak or maybe not quite as honorable as they need to be, you have to have the same love one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Be happy for one another. Care about one another. 
Now ye are the body of Christ. Now he's he's saying the corpus of the anointed. You you're supposed you're supposed to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And each of you are supposed to be anointed. And but God is judge, not you. And members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, second Darily prophets, third teachers, after the miracles, then gifts of healing, helps governments, diversities of tongue, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Now these are questions. Have all the gifts of healing do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now he's showing you a more excellent way. And that excellent way means you have to care about one another. How can you care about one another until you sit down? So the guy who has the opportunity to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but does not show up because he says life happens, guess what? Death happens too. Hard times happen. Illness happens. Disaster happens. What's important in your life but the life of Christ? And you cannot eat of his loaves and fishes. You cannot even really eat fully of the Spirit of God until you do what Christ said. Because the foundation is Christ. And he told us to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, we could go back in that last paragraph. It starts at verse 27. And look at some of these things. And God hath set some in the church. What? What? Wait a minute. Then he goes on with this list. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts, healings. Okay. Apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers has to do with what he sets in the church. So are all these guys sitting over there in the church building? Well, we know the church is not a building. The church is the ecclesia. It's not a place. It's a group of people that are called out, just like the Levites were called out, to perform a certain function in the only institution of God. The institution of the government of Turkey is not of God. That's men of Turkey instituted that government. The institution of the United States government is not of God. God didn't institute that. Men instituted that. Some of the men were godly men. Some of the men had ideas that were not so godly. And we've gone over that. And if you want to read the book, it's free online. Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions. We'll give you a different perspective on what the Constitution actually does and fails to do. Because it's not really a biblical document. Because it fails the biblical test for a godly constitution. It's a great document. I'm not trying to get rid of it or pick on it or anything, but it it does not meet the standards laid down in the Bible for a constitution if you're going to have rulers who can exercise authority one over the other. 
So he's making a distinction here that this this church with apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. What's apostles? Well, I'll put a link in there so you can take a look at what apostles are. But he's setting you into free assemblies. Most of you are going to be in free assemblies. Congregations of the people, for the people, by the people. If you sit down in the name of Christ, you're sitting down in the congregation for others. Not just for yourself. You, you Yes, for yourself, but you have to equally sit down in that congregation for others. You have to be drawn to come and sit down because you care about others. That opens the door to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit cares about life. It is a giver of life. It is the tree of life. And so therefore, if you're not sitting down with a desire to give life, to care for one another, not just care for those you love or you like or you think are honored or you think are special, but to care for others, period, then that that you need to be sitting down in that spirit in order to receive the Holy Spirit. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we we went through this uh, whole chapter 12, but I wanted to go through a few of the commentaries, uh, such as, uh, I can think of a few of them, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, Brown, Bible commentaries. It actually talks about, you know, the whole 1 Corinthians in 12, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 31, as the use and the abuse of spiritual gifts, especially prophesying and tongues. Now, he doesn't really go into, in this particular chapter, he doesn't really go through any uh, abuse of tongues. And what is tongues? That's another thing. Uh, and, you know, that is... I have seen so many people who th- say they're speaking in tongues and they're faking it. I had a, f- a close friend who went out and he would he would prove that they were faking it right in front of the whole church. I mean, the guy was bold. <laughs> and, you know, they'll argue that they're not and this is really the spirit and people want to believe that, you know, but it's kind of like the, my old story. I, it's actually in the Corinthians, uh, the earlier Corinthian recordings. I, I go through that about the guys who wanted to believe that Greece was syrup and even though you told them flat out it's not syrup it's grease it's crisco it's it's a big vat of melted grease they would ladle it onto their pancakes because they wanted to believe that it was syrup but anyway you can hear that story if you go and listen to all of the corinthian thing but uh that's what people do they want to believe that this is tongues tongues really is when suddenly you're speaking to people who are French and only know French, don't know English, and they're hearing French. And you don't know French, but you're speaking to them. Now, that actually is a possibility. That can happen, where people will actually begin to understand that. But when you're getting to that point, the people that are understanding you are really listening in the Spirit. It's, again, back to that crippled guy who... He or the woman who had the bleeding disease, she was healed because she was willing to receive the Spirit. Now, there was still going to be an ongoing process of renewing and perfecting herself in that Spirit. But she was yearning so much for the truth that she was actually able to receive healing. 
And this was very common in the early church that people, you know, like the dentist at Bergamot, uh, he was just working on teeth. And people were being healed while he was leaning over them working on their teeth. They had other problems and those problems went away because he was leaning on them, pulling out a tooth or whatever it was that he was doing. At dentistry in Rome, I'm not sure exactly all of what that curtailed. But, uh, and he was charged with practicing medicine without a license because the news got around and people were coming to him. This is one of the early martyrs of the church, which most people don't know about because they don't read very much. <laughs> but uh, he... Uh, people went to him. They didn't have anything wrong with their teeth, but they wanted him to lean on them because they wanted to be healed of other things. And they were healed of other things. But he was charged with practicing medicine without a license and executed because the AMA of its day, which had the same symbol of AMA we have today, <laughs> was literally a religious temple organization. It was a, because it was part of religion. Because religion was how you take care of the needy of your society. So anyway, uh, uh, I'm going to go a little other side note here, which I often do because I walk around the, the subject matters. There was something in the news this uh, week that was Beto O'Rourke, and he's, you know, candidate for president. Uh, I don't know if he'll ever get in, but he's a candidate anyway. And he's a kind of a strange... A wild and crazy guy, if I may use that uh, term, uh, from Steve Martin. But anyway, he says he'd punish churches that don't perform same-sex weddings. That was the headlines. And here's a quote from him. There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies, and actually you should say in the United States, that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And, you know, he went on. Beto uh, then added uh, he would stop anyone who didn't conform to the left's view of the LGBT rights. I've had ministers of local churches and even not-so-local churches come to me and say, what do we do now that they're talking about passing laws where we can be not only penalized, fined hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, even put into jail because we won't perform same-sex marriages. So should any of the ministers of His Holy Church that is actually following Christ, should they worry about this? No. Because we don't deny people the right to civil marriage. If somebody wants to get a civil marriage, they can go ahead and get a civil marriage. Uh, we don't tell them not to do that. But we don't perform civil marriages. We perform the Holy Sacrament, Sacrament of Marriage, which I am not a party to your union. If I were to perform a marriage for you, I'm not a party to your union. I'm just bearing witness that you on this day... And she on this day bore witness that they were marrying each other. And I don't do that of my own accord, but I require the witnesses of the congregants round about us to bear witness to the fact that you two are entering a contract with each other. That's a religious contract with you. And the witnesses 
are admitting their part in protecting that union. Which means also they are going to be a part of the daily ministration for that family. But it's a free daily ministration. They don't have to, you know, give, you know, 10% or anything like that. They should be giving that into the church. So there is a international system of social welfare. So no matter where those people go and they fall on hard times, we can say, yeah, they were married in the church and they were, you know, part of this congregation. And yeah, I would help them out if I were you, but the choice is still in the hands of the individual, every man, the individual. The church is an individual institution filled with individuals. There are the church itself, that's the church in general, as individuals, because we're turning every man to his family and every man to his possessions. And we're not incorporating his marriage into any other institution. Now, state marriages, civil marriages, they have a whole list of civil rights and protections and and they can provide you with divorces and they can take your children away and they can do all kinds of things. You can go read our articles on marriage. That's another institution. We don't perform those marriages. Those churches who do perform those marriages, their ministers are becoming officers of the civil government while they're doing that. And therefore, they they have reason to be concerned. <laughs> we're not We're not doing what they're doing. We don't perform civil marriages. We perform ecclesiastical marriages. We don't profess that those ecclesiastical marriages are civil marriages. They are civil in the sense that the, the people of the congregation uh, civilly get together, but it's not civil law that they are abiding by. It's just basic natural law in, in the marriages that we unite. Because everybody, everybody has a right to help these people out when they have trouble. You know, if, if the husband fell off a ladder and broke his back and suddenly the family didn't have any income, that's what the congregation is there for. And they will take their free will offerings according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their conscience and take care of those people. And if you were really following Christ in every way and every aspect of your life, because life does happen, then you would be producing certain works, certain activities. You would be practicing religion. Now, he doesn't understand. I thought I had a quote down here where he talks about religion or something, but he he doesn't understand what religion is. He thinks religion is what you think about God, but of course most Christians don't. Uh, most professing Christians don't understand what religion is. Religion is how, the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. The church is separate. The saints, saint means separate. The, the saints are separate. They're not a part of the world. We don't have a tax exemption. We have a tax exclusion. We're excluded from having to file. We're, we're not one of their 501c3 organizations. We're considered 501c3 by law. But that's because we're separate. And we're the church. Not because we applied for a benefit. If we apply for a benefit, they can take it away. But we're not applying for the benefit. I don't take any of those benefits. Now, I, I serve a lot of people that do take some of those benefits, but I just serve, serve them according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I, I have no obligation. They don't have any obligation to take care of you either, if you actually read the fine print. But my obligation is to Christ. I, I'm not 
loyal to anybody but to Christ and his Holy Spirit, which he called the comforter that he has sent to us. What you want to do is bring the Holy Spirit into your congregation. You can't make other people bring it in. You don't have to fear if they bring in another spirit. You just have to fear you're not bringing enough of the Holy Spirit in. (laughs) And that's fear of God. Your individual, every man relationship with God is what you need to be dealing with. Your individual relationship. And then you can come together in righteousness. But if you're out there playing church, well, then you may have cause for concern. So, anyway, if we look at uh, some of the other commentaries, such as Ellicott's commentary for English readers, he goes and says, Paul uh, replies to inquiries regarding the comparative value and importance of certain spiritual gifts. In this early age of the church was full of divine energy of spiritual youth. Now, you see what he's trying to say. Because it was young, it had this youth strength that it doesn't have when it's older. Well, think again, old man. But anyway, um, I want you to understand. Well, we'll go on and continue to read. I'm reading right out of them. From the indwelling of the Spirit of God resulted certain uh, marvelous gifts, some of which ceased with the apostolic age. False. That's not true. There is no apostolic age. We're still in the apostolic age. There's still apostles. But who are those apostles? Well, you're just going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to find that out. But God didn't get any older. The Spirit of God isn't any older. There are still young people that are a part of the church. Where's the miracles? Well, it's because the church is not doing what the church was supposed to be doing. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is not operating to them. There is a spirit that operates through them. And that spirit may seem to be holy at times. But are they really doing what Christ said to do? That's a clue. Some of which seem to have lingered for centuries, even to our own day, declaring themselves intermittently in times of profound religious awakening. Well, religious awakening? What is religious awakening? If religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, what is a religious awakening? It's not an emotional feeling. It's doing the will of God. If you're not doing the will of God, you have to ask yourself, why not? Because the Spirit is not dwelling in you. Because if the Spirit is dwelling in you, you're going to want to be doing the will of God. So, you first you have to show up to do the will of God. You have to care about others to do the will of God. You have to forgive others, not divide one another because you don't like this guy or don't like that guy. You're supposed to love your enemies. You should be able to sit down with your enemies and if the Holy Spirit is really shining in you and that enemy is contrary to the Holy Spirit, he leaves, not you. Because he leaves the Holy Spirit. He leaves the light that is shining out of you that you have no control over. So if you look at Meyer's New Testament commentary, he says, leads over from the matter previously discussed to another in connection with which 
also abuses, abuses had crept into the church. So yes, that's where the abuses were. It's not in this chapter. He's talking about in the previous chapter. So you'll have to go back and find out what, which is why I was talking to you. I'm tying this together. Why I'm talking the chapter breaks are put in by men. Do not separate these chapters out in your mind except so you can find certain things. That's one message, one spirit. And then Matthew Henry's uh, concise, he says, spiritual gifts were extraordinary powers bestowed in the first ages to convince unbelievers and to spread the gospel. No, that's not really accurate. Yeah, it did convince some unbelievers, but they believed by signs and wonders, and Christ warned us about believing by signs and wonders. Ultimately, you have to believe because the Holy Spirit, you believe in the Holy Spirit because you sense the Holy Spirit, you are a part of the Holy Spirit, and how do we know you are? Because of what you do. You will show up. You will gather together. You will be there for one another. You will sacrifice. You will forgive. You will confess your sins. People come together and start complaining about the government, complaining about uh, this guy, or complaining about this church, or whatever. They're not confessing their sins. They're confessing other people's sins. That's not where we need to go. Not that you can't talk about some of these things, but you need to be confessing your sins. You're addicted to the lie. You need to go to Lie anonymous. <laughs> you need to go to where you can overcome that addiction to the lie and the benefits of the lie. Gifts and graces greatly differ. Both were freely given of God. That's what we have to realize. They're freely given of God. And you have no control over what gift God is going to give you or not give you. Because it's God. God is God. You're supposed to be worshipping him, not him worshipping you. So you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is not so easy to do, but it's humbling. It uh, You need to be dedicated towards that idea because that's, if you won't take care of one another's physical needs and aid one another in a righteous way that strengthens the poor, then why would God give you spiritual gifts too? Occasionally he will give us spiritual gifts in advance of when we should have them. But he gets to decide that. But you need to continue to immerse, baptize yourself in the righteousness of God. That's what we're seeking is the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not our self-righteousness. Not putting on our outside images, our cloaks, our our rituals, our our religious doctrines. Religious doctrines. If religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, what's a religious doctrine? Well, I guess you could say you are taking care of their needs through means that strengthen them. That's about it on religious doctrine. (laughs) That you have to do it through free will offerings. That, That could be a religious doctrine. But all these made-up doctrines, these hoops that people have you jumping through, they're they're going to lead you away from... The, they're part of the tree of knowledge. They're not leading you to the tree of life. Stop eating of the tree of knowledge. 
Start eating of the tree of life. Now, some of you will have lots of knowledge and information. That's a temptation to eat of that. We, we, we're supposed to have the tree of knowledge in our garden. But we're not supposed to eat of it. It's not the source of our actions. Uh, you know, all the time I was just talking just in the last week to somebody and I was saying like, in my head, these ideas, actually even just yesterday, talking to my grandkids, in my head, I knew this idea sounded crazy. And the first time I heard the idea was when it came out of my mouth. And one of the witnesses I had that it was of the Spirit was that everybody listened to what I had to say. There was nobody argue with it. Because it wasn't me that was speaking. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit. Now, I could find argument in other places, but in that particular situation, the people listened because the people were willing to receive the Holy Spirit. And healing took place. Miraculous healing took place. Because they were willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, we went through actions that we see repeated in the Bible, but we didn't do it because we read it in the Bible. We did it because the Holy Spirit was leading us to do these things. And then our intellect later, we looked at and it says, oh yeah, people have talked about this. I never even, you know, I've heard about this. But we realized that what was really doing the healing was the Holy Spirit. Now, the fact that we're spiritual creatures as well as physical creatures, anybody can do this. But not to the same extent. Not to the same power. Because for it to really be powerful, really to have bones mend, flesh come together, really to make that happen in in moments... In, in just minutes and hours rather than weeks and months. You need that power of the Holy Spirit to come in and do that and provide that healing. Because if you depend on the healing of the world, you're going to bring in other patterns that are not of the pattern of creation. And that's where you start getting other problems where things don't heal right where things don't fit together right, where you get crazy guys like Beto not understanding anything he's talking about. But you can you can go through, you know, or the people in the UN who think that somehow or other because Turkey invaded <laughs> another country, crossed the border with guns and weapons and tanks, that somehow that's our fault. And Turkey's sitting right there as a founding member of the United Nations and nobody says a word to Turkey about, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Going across the border. Stop it. <laughs> go back. You know, go back to your own country. Take care of your own country. Stop meddling in other people's country. You know, take care of your own house. You know, as Jordan Peterson, make your own bed. Fix your own things. They're not saying that because they're not of that spirit. And so, the fact is, we can't make the world conform to the Spirit of God. God can, but God doesn't work that way. I mean, they will they will receive their... He talks in this, and we'll see it in the next chapter, I think, where he talks about fire, baptisms of fire. That's coming, folks. That baptism of fire. that That's not far off. And in reality, it happens every day. But uh, 
there's there's periods of time where that baptism is even greater. I mean, the, the spiritual power are, are manifested in great physical changes. But you need to start where you're at. You need to let life happen to you. But it needs to be the life of the tree of life, of the Holy Spirit. And the way to do that is to do what Christ said. And Christ said, sit down in the tens. And connect those tens in fifties. And connect those ten. That's what ranks means. Rank. And in none of the translations put as many words in that text as is in that text, in the original text. They all abbreviate it down. But you're supposed to be sitting down in those ranks so that there will be enough to eat when the Costco chickens are gone. <laughs> so, uh, but we don't eat by bread alone. We eat by the Holy Spirit. We live by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to be doing. How can you do that if you won't sit down? If you won't sit down with these people, why? Because you haven't forgiven them? Because you still hold animosity? Because you still hold anger? Because you're still selfish? Well, you are still selfish. But when you sit down selflessly, in other words, in the name of Christ, one thing Christ came is selflessly. He did not come for what he was rich. He gave up as well. He could have been crowned king. He fled from it. King over a government that exercised authority. He was king over a government that exercised love. The head of Turkey is not over a government that exercises love. It's the head over a government that exercises authority. And oil and water do not mix. So they're going to do what they're going to do. But if you do what Christ said you're going to do, you will have God in your corner. And they can come out swinging all they want. You will have the full armor of God. But that starts at home. That starts in your heart and in your mind. You gotta let it happen. You gotta let it be. And until then, peace on your house. Join the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net.